This morning we're looking at Galatians chapter 3, page 973 uh, of the Pew Bibles. 973. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, And it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. Amen. And we thank God today for his word. Sometimes in our Christian walk, reading the Bible is something that we really struggle to do. Sometimes when we do get into it, we we tend to gravitate to the passages that we've known since we were wee lads or wee girls, and they seem to make sense. But rarely do we delve into the Old Testament because it seems like a foreign land. The Old Testament is a God of wrath and judgment called Yahweh. It is all law and land and sacrifice in it. And it seems incredibly different from the New Testament, which is all of Christ. It's all about the gospel. It's all about the church. And it's all about grace. Sometimes in the history of the church, we have struggled to try to balance them all together. We struggle to see the big picture. So much so that there are believers in the history of the church who have just rejected the Old Testament in its entirety. Things are, are different now. The Christ has come. But folks, if we ever go down that line, if we ever believe that the Old Testament does nothing to say to us, if we ever think that the Bible is a book of two halves, one more important than the other, then we we do violence and damage to what all is the Word of God. From Galatians through to Revelation, this is the Bible, this is God's Word, and it is one big grand story of redemption. You see, sometimes in our Christian life, the two halves may not seem to make a whole, but, but it is there. There is no difference between the old and the new. There's no discrepancy. It's not a, a different God in one and a different God in the other, and a different gospel in one and a, a different gospel in the other. The Bible is one. God's word is one. And the gospel is the same on every single page. If you ever struggle with those issues about the nature of God in both the New and the Old Testaments and and the nature of salvation in the Old and the New Testaments, then I would urge you to Galatians chapter 3. Every single day of the week, Galatians chapter 3. When you don't understand how it all works together, Galatians chapter 3. It is a wonderful passage. It is one that I would go and sit on a beach today and read. That's how much I love it. Galatians chapter 3. John has no doubt done an excellent job taking you through the first couple of chapters and and you will know and and understand the whole big issues in this book. And Paul touches on them again as chapter 3 begins. He says, O foolish Galatians, in verse 1, who has bewitched you? Paul just cannot understand that these Galatians who have started by grace are now departing and, and trying to finish the race by works. It's as if they've heard the two sides of that debate, that the Old Testament's different than the New, and yes, you've started by grace, but you've got to do all this other stuff too, otherwise you cannot be saved. And Paul challenges that attitude, calling them the foolish Galatians, and he makes it clear to them, did you receive the Spirit, in verse 2, by, by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And there's the age-old answer to this question about the Scriptures. Are they two parts, two different parts, two paths of salvation? Paul says, well, look, did your work save you or was it faith? Did you receive the Holy Spirit because you did works of the law, because you were circumcised and, and followed various feast days and did all this other stuff? Was that what 
made you receive the Holy Spirit? Or was it curing by faith? Verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So you have been saved through faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, but now you're going to grow yourself up in the faith by doing stuff, by being good and doing good works and and finishing the race in your own strength. This is the whole crux of the matter in the book of Galatians. These foolish Galatians had started well, but they were in danger of falling off the course. They were in danger of trying to finish the race by works of the flesh. And yet, as we've read in Galatians 2 and verse 21, as John no doubt preached last week, Paul says in it, If righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The Presbyterian theologian Gresham Mason in the States back in the last century said that this is the the key verse in this book. Galatians 2 and verse 21, this is the issue. If righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for nothing. If you are able to save yourself through your works, if you're able to sanctify yourself, grow yourself up in the faith through your works, then Christ has died for no reason. Is that really the truth here in 2019? Do we really believe that? See, the apostle makes it clear what the stakes are are here in this grand debate. If it's all about law, if it's all about good works, if you're keeping yourself in heaven by your by your goodness, if you're getting yourself to heaven by your abilities and your works, then Christ died for nothing. The cross and the tomb was for no reason, no purpose, for nothing. But of course, that is not the gospel. Paul calls these Galatians foolish. And these questions are designed to bring them back to a place where they realize, I did not start this race by works. I did not start this race by my abilities. I did not start this race by my goodness. We are saved by faith alone, through Christ alone, and it's all his abundant grace alone. This is how we are saved. And Paul bangs on this Galatian door and says, Come on, folks, waking up, you, you foolish Galatians. You and I are not men and women redeemed because we are good. We are men and women who have heard the word with faith and the Spirit has worked in our lives. Folks, it has always been this way. See, today if you sit here and you you bear the name Christian, then, then you came to know Christ in exactly the same way. It wasn't by works. The Lord did not look in the ball and hinch and write your name on a list because you were someone that really was managing to nail those Ten Commandments every single day. It's not how it's worked, ever. Not in 2019 and not 2,000 years ago when, when Paul was writing to the Galatians. Never. It has never been about our abilities. And so Paul says, folks, waken. Are you fools? Are you being perfected by the flesh? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and, and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? Verse 5. Or by hearing with faith. And if these Galatians were still not getting it, 
then Paul takes them back into the Old Testament and he shows them that the story that he is telling has always been the same. It has never been changed. And we see it in the life of Father Abraham. And you've heard it being said this morning that Father Abraham has many sons. Many sons is Father Abraham. He has many daughters too. Many sons and daughters and men and women and children who for generations have been coming to know Christ by faith. And Paul says that. How did you come to be saved? How did you come to be redeemed? Was it, was it by works or by hearing with faith? And you might have someone thinking, well, well, well Abraham was saved by works, wasn't he? Because after all, we, we know, don't we? That anyone in the Old Testament who loved the Lord was saved by works. That's true, isn't it? Not according to Galatians, not according to Paul. He says that in verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Even more in verse 7, Paul says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. We are not sons of Abraham by work. We are sons and daughters of Abraham by faith. Just as Abraham was, according to verse 9, the man of faith. These are extraordinary verses. They, they speak to us when we are tempted to believe that the first chunk of the Bible is a different story than the second part. When we're tempted to believe that maybe there's another option, another path of, of works that we can follow to be saved. Paul says it's never been like that. Verse 8 says, The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, wait you hear these words, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Isn't that startling? Whenever we're tempted to believe that the gospel is a New Testament thing, Things are different now because of Jesus. We don't do any of that law anymore. We're saved by grace now. But it wasn't like that in Genesis through to Malachi. It was different. That's not what Paul says. He says the gospel was preached to Abraham. The good news was preached to Abraham. Abraham was not told you will have offspring and descendants as numerous as sand and stars because you will work hard gospel of grace was preached to Father Abraham and that is why today we can hurt our backs and hurt our hips by singing Father Abraham and many sons. Folks, this is so important because in every Christian's life there is a time where we, we forget about God's grace and we start to major on ourselves. We forget about how we were brought to this wonderful party in the first place. And we begin to believe it's, it's all me now. It's works now. It's abilities now. It's, it's my faithfulness now that will get me to the finishing line. And as an antidote to that thinking, we read Galatians 3 and we see the whole story of the Bible unfolded for us in this one chapter. And we're brought back to that place that says righteousness is by faith. Faith which as we know is a receiving and a resting in Christ as he is offered in the gospel. And the faith that I have exercised in my Savior is the same faith that Father Abraham exercised in his. And we struggle with that, don't we? Because when we pick up our beautiful Bibles, we, we're rather being the final parts 
which seem more relevant to us than those early bits which seem like a different story altogether. Abraham says the apostle believed the gospel. Abraham says the apostle was a man of faith. And even if we can't imagine what that was like when when God took Abraham out and said, look at the stars, look at the sand. This is going to be your descendants. We, We can't imagine what that night was like. But Paul says what was going on in that moment was was the gospel was being proclaimed to Abraham and he received it by faith. If Father Abraham had many sons, it is not because of works, but all by faith. And folks, why is this passage still relevant? Because you'd think now, here in 2019, that that certainly we in the, in the Protestant churches in Ballon Hinch would understand this. Nothing I have said today should be new to you. Nothing I have, I have preached or, or proclaimed should be something that you think, I've never heard that before. We are men and women, a reformed church, one of the few in this town who, who look back to the Reformation for our roots. And we, we say that's where it all started. And, and we rediscovered these glorious doctrines of grace. That's what it's about. This shouldn't be anything new to us. And yet why is it in a town like ours and in a church like ours do we see and hear all the time about our confidences in the fact that we are good. We are good. And some of you believe that. Some of you are convinced of that. I'm all right. And you sat in Sunday school in this church and you memorized the Ten Commandments and you've done your best to keep them all your life and you're convinced that that's going to get you across the finishing line you think, how can you ever come to believe that when you've, you've sat in this church for years and you've heard the gospel not of works but of grace? Folks, it is a, a disease that I think infects every church at a time and it is a disease that infects many people in this district and beyond all the time that says the big man upstairs will do me right. And you think, well, why will he? You say, well, because I've always done him right. I've kept his commandments. Paul speaks to that. He says in verse 10, All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Suddenly, Paul outlines for us an incredibly high and impossible standard. If you are convinced about the big man upstairs going to look after you because you do your bit and you do your best, well, will you read just one verse in this chapter and, and I hope that the Holy Spirit knocks all the rotten structure that you've built your life around down. Because Paul says your, your works doesn't mean a thing. All that stuff that you've built your life around, well, if you're relying on those works of the law, you are cursed. Nobody wants to be that, sure they don't. Nobody wants to be seen as cursed by God. But Paul's whole thrust here to these foolish Galatians is don't get back to a place where you are under a law that you cannot keep trying your best, striving at your hardest, working out your endeavors. Don't get back to that place because all who are in that place are cursed. 
And it is evident, says Paul in verse 11, that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. No one, says Paul, is justified before God by the law. No one is justified before God by the law. How do we ever get to a place where we think, I'll be justified before God by the law when the apostle makes it absolutely clear? No one. No one is justified. No one is declared righteous by God. No one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Folks, I want you to hear this today. If you are a a Ten Commandment kind of Ulster Protestant, I want you to hear this if you are someone who is convinced that Although Woodburn and others do their best to convince you otherwise, you're all right because, well, as I've said, the big man knows what you're really like. Folks, it's a nonsense. It's a lie of the enemy who seeks to keep you in a place where you think you're all right. And you've maybe the commandments on a picture up on your wall that somebody gave you years ago when you're at Sunday school. But no one is justified before God by the law. Folks, today the righteous shall live by faith. Paul will say later in Hebrews 11 and verse 6 that we must have faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please the only one who can pardon our sins and declare us righteous without faith. Not works, but faith. Without faith, we cannot please God. And so today, if you go home and look at those commandments above the fireplace, then, folks, take them down, would you? I'm not anti the commandments. I'll tell you in a minute the purpose of God's law. If they're above your bed, then take them down. Put a picture of the queen back up there, if you would. She'll do you more good than, than trying to keep the commandments. If you're that way inclined, put the Pope back up there. You take your picture. You do what you want. King Billy on his horse, put it up there. They'll do you more good than you trying to be good. Folks, today the righteous shall live by faith. And where do we place that faith? We place it in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because while those of us who are striving to obey the law are cursed, Paul says that Christ redeemed us from the curse in verse 13, the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You see, the object of the Christian faith is not our sinful, imperfect obedience. The object of the Christian faith is and always has been the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham longed to see the day of Christ and he saw it and was glad. You and I look back to the cross of Christ and we rejoice in it. But the object of the Christian faith for the Old Testament believer and you and I today has always been Jesus. The one who hung on the tree and redeemed us from the curse. Friends, today if your faith is in the law or in your abilities, or in your goodness, or whatever it might be, it is in the wrong place. 
If your faith is not in Christ, you are a foolish Galatian. If your faith is not in Jesus, then you are barking literally up the wrong tree. And instead, you need to come to the tree at Calvary and believe in the Lamb of God. Works. And that gospel of nonsense that is proclaimed often in our hearts and in this town that says, Ah, you're all right. You'll be all right. Paul says, no. It's time to go to Jesus. It's time to go to the one who ends the curse by becoming a curse and making an end to all our sins on that wicked tree at Calvary. See, in Jesus, the blessing of Abraham has come to us, the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith, says Paul in verse 14. And you think to yourself, well, Scott, then what? What was all that stuff about with the commandments and the stones and the, all that mountain and, and all that? You see, the Old Testament is different. It, it, it's got nothing to do with us. If, if you're telling us it's all about grace, then, then what was all that for? What was the point in that? Surely the goodness, something must have happened there and those Israelites must have been saved by those tablets. What was it all for? Paul explains as this chapter comes to a close. He reminds us that, that the law came 430 years after Abraham. So Abraham could not possibly have been saved by obedience to the commandments of stone because it comes almost 500 years after he has dead and gone. Why then the law, says Paul in verse 19? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Paul says the law was to act as our schoolmaster, our guardian, he says in verse 24, until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Here is the work that the law was sent to do, not to save, not to come and say, obey me, the law, and you will be made righteous. The law was not to do that. And the law was not evil. The law was not contrary to the promises of God. Paul says that in verse 21. Is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. The law is from God. It is of God. But it was put in charge to lead us to Christ. The law was given to those men and women at the foot of the mountain, it was put in charge to act as their guardian until Christ came. And as those early believers watched Moses come down the mountain carrying the stones, then, then they should have been reading them and, and realizing how far short of God's glory they fell and longing for the day that a Savior would come to redeem them from the curse of the law. This is the purpose. And today the law still has a purpose in our lives. We are not against the law. Antinomian is to be against or anti the law. We're not. For reformed believers like ourselves, we believe that the law has a threefold purpose, a threefold use in our lives. Firstly and most importantly, the law acts like a mirror. It shows us just how holy our God is. If you ever say to me, Scott, I I really just ignore the books of the law and the Old Testament. They've got nothing to say to me. Well, that's utterly false. Spend time 
in the book of Leviticus and, and you will see how the, the Old Testament church were brought to worship and you will see the high standards. Every part of it just screams out about the holiness of God. The law shows us God's holiness and the law shows us therefore our sinfulness. Although you like to believe that you keep the commandments well as we study them and read them, we really don't. We really don't. The law acts as a mirror in our lives. It shows us God's holiness. It shows us our sinfulness. And therefore, it leads us to Christ. It causes us to run to Jesus, the only one who has kept the law perfectly on our behalf. So the law is a mirror, and the law restrains sin. I'm sure you're very glad that we live in a law-abiding country. Whereas if you went out today and murdered your next-door neighbor because he's bust your brand-new lawnmower, then we can expect you to be punished for that. The law does that. We are thankful that God has said, do not murder, and that has found its way into human society. The law is a mirror. The law restrains sin. And the law for the believer instructs us in godliness. There was a man a long time ago by the name of Samuel Bolton who said, the law sends us to the gospel that we may be justified. Or in other words, the law sends us running to Jesus so that we might be saved. We cannot keep the law, so we run to Jesus and we are saved. But the gospel sends us to the law again to inquire what is our duty as those who are justified. The law runs, causes us to run to Jesus and then it causes us to run back. Lord, now that I am redeemed, now that I am saved, I delight in your law. Show me how it is you would have me live. Show me what it is to, to live as a believer in this barren land. Show me what it is to please you. And so the law is a mirror. The law restrains sin. And the law instructs us in godliness. This is the purpose of the law. Not to save not to redeem, not to set us on a life where we're always trying our hardest and fingers crossed, hope for the best, one day we might be saved. But the law causes us to run to Christ who became a curse for us so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Folks, this Bible is, is not two different stories. And this Bible does not give two different plans of salvation. Good news for the Jew and good news for the Gentile. That's not it. Again, if we read the book of Romans, Paul gives us a, an image of the people of God, the church. He, he sees an olive tree, just one, just one, with branches that were natural, the Jewish people, and branches that were placed on and, and manipulated on, and that's us, the Gentiles. But there is one tree, one church. The law did not come to save, but the law was given so that we would wait for Jesus, long for Jesus, run to Jesus, because only through faith in Jesus are we saved. It is that that Paul finishes this chapter with. He says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, and there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel is all of faith and all of Christ. And these verses in this day and age are incredibly controversial. They, they have been used and manipulated to mean all sorts of things. But, but if someone reads them and preaches them and says, Therefore, because of these verses, women should be elders, 
they've missed the boat. And if someone reads these two verses, verse 27 and 28, and says, look, there's no male and female, and so we need to change our attitude about gender and all the rest of it in this day and age, they have missed the boat. These verses are not about any of these things or urging you to go and smash the patriarchy or any of that stuff that you hear today. These verses are simply about the glory of salvation through faith in Christ our Lord. Women and men and Jews and Greeks and slaves and free are all saved in exactly the same way. Just like Abraham and before him, Abel and Enoch and Noah, according to Paul in Hebrews 11, just like everyone who will come to believe today, every little grain of sand, every little star in the sky, every single one of us fulfilling the promise made to Father Abraham all those years ago that the righteous shall live by faith. And so friends today, be encouraged. I don't know what your plans are for this afternoon. I don't know if you're planning to go to the beach. I wouldn't recommend it. An absolutely horrendous place. I don't know if you're just going to go home and sit on the sofa and drink tea and dread the fact that your holidays are over and it's back to work in the morning. I don't know what you will do today. But rejoice in the fact that our God is not sending us out of this place to try harder or to do better or to reach higher. Instead, he points us to Christ and urges us to rest in that place. For you and I, those who have heard the gospel and started the race by faith in Christ, will finish that same race in the same way. The gospel is all of grace and all of Jesus. And therefore, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to promise. Amen. And we thank God for his word.